any business model will work if you can print your own money, which is true of every altcoin. Like you can you can make any business model work, including you know selling database rows for uh, for money, which is essentially what an NFT is. Um, you can make any business model work uh, in in those sort of environments. And You're that's what most governments right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, it, it, and none of them run efficiently. None of them really benefit anybody. And that that's, that's the problem. So you, you can go to the dark side and, uh, you know, work on all these altcoins, probably make, even make some money, but I would question the effect on your soul. Welcome to Bitcoin basics with your hosts, Faris and Gordon. Visit bitcoinbasics.help if you need help buying and securing your Bitcoin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Gordon and Ferris. And we have a special guest today, which we will interview in a second. Uh, today, at time of recording, is the 19th of November. The price of Bitcoin is trading just above $58,000. The block height is 710,304. So, Gordon, we just had a nice conversation with, nice is an understatement, very um, comprehensive and very well, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not over my head. Articulate, definitely. Jimmy, Jimmy Song, uh, we've interviewed before. If you're in Bitcoin space, you'll know who he is. If you don't. Jimmy, like Gordon, comes from a tech developer background, but Jimmy is very, very good at explaining what's going on in the world of Bitcoin. Uh, I reached out to Jimmy because I, on Twitter, on FinTech, been seeing everyone getting excited about this thing called Taproot. So I just want to say, what is Taproot? How does it affect us? And we talked about that and quite a few other things. Uh, what was your takeaway, Gordon? Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to, to speak to Jimmy. He's, as I said, so articulate. He's passionate, and as you said, Ferris, he's he's got an uncanny ability to explain things, you know, simply and concisely. I mean, these things are really complex, and yes, we definitely got into the weeds and highly technical, and even uh, I won't say even a lot of things uh, went over my head as well. But um, stick with it, uh, even if you sort of don't understand the perhaps minutia of you know a lot of the Bitcoin programming and coding. Uh, the big picture um, innovation and functionality that is coming to Bitcoin is simply amazing. So um, hopefully you get something out of that and also the other things that we discuss in terms of, you know, big picture, where's Bitcoin heading and, and the space in general. So without further ado, Ferris, here's the interview. Bitcoinbasics.help is excited to announce our next webinar happening on the 11th and 12th of December 2021 where you'll learn how to buy and sell Bitcoin confidently and securely. Join Faris and Gordon, co-founders of CoinCompass.com and the co-hosts of this podcast, BitcoinBasics.help, to learn more about Bitcoin. Learn more about its fundamentals from an economic and technical point of view. Learn how to buy and withdraw Bitcoin by dealing with wallets and exchanges. And perhaps most importantly, learn about InfoSec and private key management best practices to secure and safely store your Bitcoins for the short and long term. Check out bitcoinbasics.help slash webinar to find out more. Fill out the registration form and feel free to ask questions or leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Bitcoinbasics.help slash webinar. We hope to see you there. Jimmy, great to have you back here. Thank you very much, especially at short notice. Um, one of the reasons I was keen to have you on um, is... I'm on Twitter and I'm seeing Taproot come up a lot. And it seems mm. this is one of those things where insiders are getting very, very excited about. Um, if you're not in the Bitcoin space, Taproot, I don't think refers to an MMF move. Um, <laughs> so can you just tell our listeners, Jimmy, what is Taproot? Well, Taproot is a soft fork uh, of Bitcoin. So it gives additional features that you know, you're not forced to use or anything, but it's available for um, people to use. Um, it's kind of like SegWit in that regard. Back in 2017, we had this um, soft fork upgrade to the network that allowed you to do lots of different things, took out malleability and stuff. So the Lightning Network could com commence and we're seeing the fruits of that now. Um, you know, in places like El Salvador and so on. Um, Taproot is kind of similar in the sense that there's a bunch of 
uh, upgrades to the network. Um, the, the main things are Schnorr signatures, a couple of additional opcodes, and uh, something called tap script. Uh, and this is um, allowing you to sort of specify different conditions under which you can unlock your coins. And it's done in a very logical way. It's, uh, it's a lot easier to use than the script system, which did allow you to create all kinds of interesting contracts. It's just that it was very easy to screw up, very hard to reason about. Um, and, you know, Taproot makes that a lot easier. So, because I know, Ferris, um, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Gordon. Did you understand that, Ferris? Because we've lost 99% of our audience. <laughs> and Gordon is presuming on that 99%. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> You're welcome. So with that, I do remember, um, yeah, SegWit coming in and reading a lot about it. So from my understanding as, and I'm one of the, I'm the minority here, I'm the non-tech guy in the room. Mm. So my understanding of what SegWit allowed to happen is, or it brought in the Lightning Network. And this was at the time, going back a few years, one of the big criticisms of Bitcoin is compared to other currencies, um, it was uh, criticized for being too slow. Mm. Um, because it, it did not have instant transaction time. Um, it was 10 minute settlement times, but this brought in the lightning network. So this was something that SegWit allowed bring in lightning. So building on that is Taproot and Schnorr signatures. Is this going to allow Bitcoin to bring in smart contracts, which I know has been the appeal for people looking at these altcoins? Well, I mean, smart contracts have been on Bitcoin since the beginning. It's uh, this persistent myth uh, thrown out by Ethereum people that Bitcoin doesn't have them. They, they've been there since 2009 when uh, Satoshi launched it on the network. In fact, every time you pay to a Bitcoin address, that's actually a smart contract that you're uh, sending money to. Um, it's just locked to a single key or multiple keys, but it's a smart contract saying anyone who can provide a signature for this public key is allowed to spend it. And that of course is the person that owns the private key and so on. Um, a similar thing with multi-sig and so on. They're, they're, that, that, the scripting language is actually quite uh, extensive. Uh, it, it's just not Turing complete and for good reason. Uh, the Turing completeness allows loops and it allows uh, it, it makes it much easier for developers to shoot themselves in the foot. And we see this every day in Ethereum where somebody made a smart contract badly and it gets exploited and somebody is able to run, run off with millions of dollars and coins and stuff like that. That's largely due to the complexity of uh, sort of the scripting system around Ethereum. Um, Solidity is their language. Um, in Bitcoin, the, uh, the smart contract language is called script. Um, and it's it's nice. It's it's extensive and so on. And I think Satoshi designed it a certain way or um, sort of took paradigms from uh, a computer programming language called Forth because it, would, it, it was a lot easier to sort of implement. Uh, but it, for sort of like what you would call composability, um, the ability for developers like me to compose a smart contract in a reasonable way, um, it's it's hard to reason about. And, uh, you know, there there have been attempts to make that easier using something like Miniscript, which is Peter Wooler's, um way of uh, simplifying script and making it compiled down to script and st stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, Taproot, I think, uh, like changes the ballgame significantly and makes it a lot easier to compose these smart contracts, uh, you know, in, in a way that like people actually use them. Uh, so script is a general programming language, like all smart contract platforms. Uh, but there, there's a certain way that we've uh, noticed over the last 10 years that people want to compose these smart contracts when you're locking up funds usually have several conditions, right? Like it's, hey, I want two of three of these people to sign and that would unlock the funds, or I want it to happen after this period of time. And, uh, you know, one of these people can then unlock it and so on. There, There's certain conditions and they're usually, uh, you know, separate conditions and you can compose that in script, uh, but, you know, like it's very easy to screw up and things like that. So, um, the taproot makes this just incredibly much, much easier. 
Um, and to go back a little bit to uh, to your comment about SegWit and why it enabled um, Lightning, SegWit was a bunch of changes at once. And this has been sort of like Bitcoin's model is that you work on these things and like just sort of pu push, the, push out uh, several things at once as a way to sort of roll in a lot of changes. Um, so SegWit, for example, um, you know, created a new smart contract type. Um, it's, it was called SegWit. Um, it, it, that, that's the parlance that we're using. But it also did a bunch of other things like, uh, you know, it, it made the hashing function like um, less, uh, less CPU intensive. Uh, by taking away something called the quadratic hashing problem. Um, it, it made uh, transactions not malleable, which, is, which was an essential part of allowing something like Lightning to work. Um, and you know, it, it also had a, a block size increase in there, which a lot of people wanted to deny and say it, didn't, it wasn't a block size increase. It, it was, and that, that was part of it. Um, similarly, uh, Taproot has... A bunch of things. So Schnorr signatures is one of them, uh, and it allows you to do stuff like batch verification. Again, like if you're running your own node, um, the current process of verifying a block um, is fairly CPU intensive. You you have to um, you know do ECDSA or elliptic curve digital signature algorithm like verifications on a continuous basis, that's a fairly expensive operation. So Schnorr reduces that somewhat because it's using hashes instead of something called field division, which is more CPU intensive. So reduces the CPU load. And on top of that, once you add something like batch verification, it also reduces it significantly. So instead of like verifying each signature, you can batch them. Uh, so you can combine them all and just do one, one verification instead of 30 different or a thousand different verifications. So there are optimizations like that to make it um, easier to run a full node and to reduce the load. And that, that's something that Bitcoin Core has been doing for a long time is trying to make it so that uh, you know, your ability to audit the entire Bitcoin blockchain is, uh, is reduced as much as possible so that you, you don't have to have like these super machines that you do on say Ethereum or Solana or whatever. All, all of these chains require just enormous computing power and very few people run them as a result. So it's not in any way decentralized. Whereas with Bitcoin, you know, I could, I could do this on my Raspberry Pi, right? Like with a, with a, you know, one terabyte hard drive or 500 gigabyte hard drive. And that that uh, ability to be able to do that is a very key component of uh, of uh, of what big uh, what uh, what Bitcoin is about. And Taproot sort of pushes along pushes us along those lines. In addition, we get composability. Um, we also get a lot more privacy out of Taproot. So uh, previously, we had uh, two types of addresses. Uh, Pre-SegWit, we had the addresses that start with a one, right? And the addresses that start with a three. And th those are two different types of contracts. You had a single key lock contract, which, we, which were the addresses that start with a one, and then a more flexible one, which is what we call pay to script hash, which start with a three. And those are more complicated contracts. Um, similarly, after SegWit, we had... Uh, pay to witness pubkey hash. These were the ones that start with BC1Q, but were shorter. And then you had the pay to witness script hash, which is BC1Q and then longer addresses. So you could tell just by looking at the address, okay, this one is locked to a single key. So I need to just go and steal that one person's key, or this is probably multi-sig. So it's, it's more complicated. With pay to taproot, what you get is both of them are combined to one. You have no idea if it's single sig or multi-sig or something in between or something more complicated. Um, and that that's the beauty of it is that you, you get a lot more privacy. You also only reveal the, um, the way, uh, like when you spend a taproot output and you have like seven different conditions for uh, being able to unlock that output, um, 
you you only reveal the one condition that you actually use instead of all seven. Right now, if you're using script, you have to reveal all seven and it gives away some of your security when you do that, right? Like, uh, okay, after three years, it's only uh, locked to one key, at which point, you know, some, uh, you know, they, the attacker might wait three years and say, okay, like now, now give me that one key. Now I, I know that I can take it away from you with, pay to tap root, it's, um, you know, you only reveal the one one thing. So they have no idea if you have mm -hmm. this uh, interesting condition that they can take advantage of. So uh, from a security standpoint, it's a, it's a nice upgrade as well, because it does preserve privacy and doesn't give away that much. So yeah, the privacy is uh, something I read about and I wanted to ask you about that. But first, mm -hmm. if you don't mind, um, so say from people who are using Bitcoin, be it on a store value or monthly basis, a daily basis, does Taproot actually affect them? Or is this like just a software update on their computer that will not change the interface? So for everyday users of Bitcoin, how does this change affect them? Is there something to be excited about in that it opens potential new avenues, potential new industries for Bitcoin? Yeah, so the main thing that I would say is a benefit to the user, other than you know your node will run a little faster and things like that, um, and the requirements to run a node are are, are a little less than they were before, um, is that you have this ability through Taproot to essentially have a backup path for very very cheap. So right now on on your wallet, what what you typically have is a seed phrase. And that seed phrase, uh, you know, can generate all your private keys and so on. So um, that's what you back up. And it, you know, say your phone broke and you lost your seed phrase. Good luck to you. You're never going to re uh, recover any of those funds. Um, what you have the ability to do with Taproot is you can sort of back things up. And this is really kind of an interesting concept. But you you have it locked to a single key. But you also have the second condition, which could be something like, um, I'm going to trust these uh, three people to help me recover my coins should, um, should I need them. Uh, like, say, my phone broke and I lost my C phrase. I have this ability to back it up. Um, and I can say two of three of these people need to give me, uh, you know, help me recover and say that they don't know each other. So there's no possibility that they can, conclude, they can collude or something like that. At that point, you, you have this ability to back it up. And if you do lose it, you can go to them and say, okay, here's the transaction I need you to sign. And if you sign it, then I'm going to be able to recover my funds. And that... That's a really cool thing is this ability to sort of like prevent uh, sort of catastrophic loss by like allowing for additional sort of like conditions under which you can recover it. Um, and they could, they could be time locked as well and things like that. So you could say something like, okay, for, uh, you know, say I lose it just so I'm like absolutely secure, like, it's only two of three after a whole year has gone by, right? Something like that. So that way, even if they're trying to collude, they can't unless a year has passed. And you can, you know, design the software in such a way as to make it so that, uh, you know, like as time goes on and as you're using the wallet, uh, you know, the year expiry just keeps moving forward. That way it's like, okay, like this is only in case of catastrophic loss that, these people are able to recover funds for me. So there, there are some really interesting things that, that can be done within Taproot. Um, the, the question really at this point is, uh, you know, are the wallet developers going to figure out, you know, what you, you know, how to use this thing in a way that best serves their customers, the users of, uh, of these wallets? Because there, there's a whole lot of possibility right now but it's up to the wallet developers to actually uh, implement these things. Um, so, you know, one of the things that Jameson Law talks about a lot with Casa is gracefully de degrading multisig. So you may have three of five multisig, um, but you know, you may have catastrophic loss of three of the keys, in which case you degrade uh, by saying, okay, after a year, it's only two of five. And after two years, it's only one of five or something like that. 
That's, that's what you would call gracefully degrading multisig. And you have the ability to compose that within Taproot um, and do it in a way that uh, that's still locked to a single key. So it's a very clever way to do everything. And it, it doesn't, uh, you know, like it doesn't cost you that much in terms of, um, you know, backing things up. You do have to back up the, you know, tap uh, Taproot or the... Uh, the mass tree, the Merkleized abstract syntax tree, and at least have the Merkle root available to you at all times, so that you can you can spend from your outputs. But you you have this ability to sort of back up your keys in a way, uh, or your UTXOs in a way, and lock it with some conditions to other uh, backup services, if you will. Yeah, that's actually really exciting because um, yeah, when we help people getting into Bitcoin, buying it for the first time. That is their biggest concern. They're aware Bitcoins have been lost. And a lot of them, I mean, we think it's exciting that essentially the onus is on you. You're not mm -hmm. trusting a third party. New people find that terrifying. They kind of want to trust a third party and we're trying to teach them <laughs> not to. So that is actually, yeah, from someone who is looking at legacy Bitcoins, that's really, really exciting development. Um, so the one thing is privacy. I, you kind of answered this. I just want to mm -hmm. confirm it is transactions will become more private or not? Because I know this is a criticism we come across of Bitcoin is it's still used on the dark web. It's still used for money laundering. We're like, no, it's more transparent than anything else out there. Will this kind of fall into that um, skepticism of Bitcoin that oh, we now do have um, private transactions that can't be traced and can potentially be used for nefarious purposes? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, you're you're still able to track uh, track the bitcoins because there's a it, it still works on a UTXO model. So um, basically, you look at a transaction, you know where the input is, and you know where the output is, and you can trace that as uh, as much as you can. There, that, there's a reason why coin joins are so effective is because you have this giant transaction with lots of inputs and lots of outputs. You have no idea which input went to which output and so on. That That's the idea behind that particular, um, you know, coin join or whatever, the, this idea of not being able to trace it. But, you know, using Taproot normally, you're, you're, you're not really changing that. Although, you know, with Schnorr signatures and signature and pub key aggregation, what you can do is you can have uh, something called cross-input signature aggregation eventually, uh, which would probably be another soft fork away at least, um, which lets you, uh, which makes it economically incentivized to do coin joins. Um, at which point, I think a lot more people will be interested in uh, in in getting that. So we're not at that level of privacy. the The privacy that I'm talking about is, you know, how your funds are locked um, and. It's, uh, it's not at all obvious because you have signature and pub key aggregation, even a single uh, key, uh, signature that shows up on chain could be from seven different people. And it could, uh, it could be seven different keys or one key. You, you just really have no idea by looking on chain. So a lot of that uh, data that's on chain right now with multi-sig, when you have two of three, you have to show two different signatures and three different pub keys. That um, that kind of goes away with stuff like music, where you have no idea. <laughs> it's just not at all obvious, uh, like by looking on chain. And that's the level of privacy that you get is, okay, uh, you know the condition under which it was spent. You have no idea of the other conditions. Uh, you you uh, also have it locked to a single key, but that key can represent 17 different keys. And that's uh, those are all... Um, very uh, privacy preserving and don't give away sort of from a security standpoint, your uh, key setup or how you spend funds or, uh, you know, what you might be doing. So yeah, th those are all very good things. So Jimmy, you mentioned um, quite a few things and, and, and a lot of usability and security and privacy, um, mm -hmm. amazing uh, qualities of Taproot. And we, we could go on and on about them, but to be honest, a lot of users don't really care so much, but from a, a, a Bitcoin development point of view, and feel free to plug your course, <laughs> why should Bitcoin developers care? I mean, there are a lot of developers maybe from the web space, and I mm -hmm. don't want to hate on Ethereum and say they're just JavaScript developers, but why should sort of they care about these sort of improvements? Does that make programming Bitcoin easier 
or are we going to not see Bitcoin NFTs for another 20 years? <laughs> I, I don't care about Bitcoin NFTs, but uh, the, the composability of smart contracts is significantly easier. So as a developer, um, you know, the, I, I just put out this tweet, by the way. Um, you know, one of the things I appreciate about Taproot is that you, you have these conditions that are entirely separate. So, uh, you know, they, they're put into a tap script and they become a leaf of the tap tree uh, that ends up with the tap roots, which get combined with the, uh, with the internal pub key to create the tap root, uh, pay to tap root address. Um, but, uh, but you could screw up on any particular leaf as long as the other leaves are fine, you could, you could spend using one of them. So it's a lot more forgiving as a developer, right? Like I, I've lost so many testnet coins, like, you know, composing something badly. And then it's like, oh crap, now I just lost like 10 testnet Bitcoin. And testnet Bitcoin is actually quite hard to get these days. So that, yeah. that, that kind of hurts. And I have to go begging to like, you know, uh, IRC channels and, you know, ask for, uh, the, you know, testnet Bitcoins or whatever. Uh, but, you know, that that sort of thing is uh, is made a lot easier uh, in terms of composability. And you can, uh, you know, do different things. And it's it's so much more easier to reason about because we we already know how to do like objectsig or something like that. It's uh, it's very easy. You just put a public key and object sig and basically what needs to be provided on the on spend as a signature um, we already know how to do that and you can have like many of those but you could also have slightly more complicated ones like uh you know some time and then check lock time verify op drop and and then you know object sig and um uh object sig and op or, or pub key and object sig, something like that, which would be a time lock to a single uh, pub key. So you, you you can compose things a lot easier, and that uh, I think will give it some real utility um, for you know being more creative with your smart contract. The other thing that you can uh, you know that that's kind of exciting that may be coming in the future. Are, uh, are things like covenants. So Anthony Towns has this very interesting um, thing on the Bitcoin dev mailing list about how you can uh, essentially have something like a, uh, a taproot mastery uh, where you own only one of the leaves. And the leaf basically says something like, uh, you can prove that what it spends to is the same sort of Merkle tree minus your tap leaf. Um, and, you know, you, you, it, it goes back into a very similar contract, basically, an outcode like that. And also, like, object the value of that output. And you can make it so that the value of the other output is, you know, limited to a certain amount or something like that. And the idea behind that is, essentially, you could have one UTXO where, like, a thousand people have partial ownership of it, right? Like, so you could have a million sats in there and a thousand people have a thousand sats each in there. And it's all hidden into a single pay to taproot output, which would be really crazy if you think about it, because um, essentially like an exchange could run that way, right? And, uh, and they, can, they can say, okay, well, this is your balance and you could, you know, it's you. You still hold the key, so you can extract at any time. Um, but you know, you, you're you're restricted with this covenant that says uh, if you do spend from it, then you have to more or less put it back the same way everybody else's stuff. But you could you can have your your portion. So it it allows for some really interesting and um, creative ways of sort of securing funds on chain, which I think would be, you know, I mean, it, it brings up a whole mess of possibilities, but that's just one of the main many ways in which you can extend uh, this idea of Taproot to uh, include some interesting developments. Uh, like, I, I would love to see an exchange do something like that, right? Because at that point, it's still your funds, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Uh, and the thing is, like, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the exchange could sort of like 
have partial custody. They they have to be able to uh, update that mastery and so on. But there there's some really really cool things that we can do. Um, and yeah, I just as a developer, I think uh, there there's so many possibilities around this. And I don't think we've really fully thought thought through all of the different ways in which uh, you know cool things can made be made with it. So far, we've been talking about a lot of the transactional sort of features. And for those sort of non-developers, um, it's something called script, Bitcoin script. Mm -hmm. If you were Satoshi, I'm assuming, well, I shouldn't assume that you're not Satoshi, but if you were <laughs> and you you were uh, designing Bitcoin, I'm assuming you wouldn't have used Bitcoin script. Like a lot of people are talking about simplicity. What, mm -hmm. what would you have done differently, Jimmy? Sorry, uh, I'm just going to yeah. butt in very quickly. Sorry, Jimmy, your reaction to that, I'm assuming you're not Satoshi, <laughs> looked like I've heard this one before. <laughs> I, I have, I have. And I, I, I um, you know, everyone wants to speculate on Satoshi and stuff. It, it's just like, I, I don't think that's important. That, that That's all I have to say about that. But uh, with respect to, uh, you know, diff different scripting language or some uh, something like that, I, I think the, um, uh, you know, script is a good smart contract language in the sense that it's not Turing complete and it does have sort of like this stack basis, which makes it, it made it at least easier for Satoshi to reason about because you have script pub key, which goes here and you have script sig, which goes there and you process it a particular way. And it's, it's fairly easy to reason about. Um, you do something a little more complicated, it, it gets harder to reason about, which is kind of the problem. Um, so, I, I mean, I I don't know what I, if I were redesigning it from, from scratch, I would probably uh, use something like simplicity because it is easier to prove, you know, whether or not something works or not. And you 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 have these uh, primitives that there's only like seven or eight primitives within simplicity, and from that you can compose a lot of different things, and you can prove that it works, and you can use reuse those components and other things, and so on. So I I think something like that would have been really nice. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like for a first attempt, I I think Satoshi did really really well. Um, I probably wouldn't have made the script language just so extensive. There are like 150 opcodes or something like that, and most of which don't get used at all. But, you know, they, they're still sort of like a QA burden on Bitcoin developers whenever they're doing a new release, making sure that the interactions are, aren't uh, going to cause anything crazy, stuff like that. So, um, you know, like I, I would love to see the script like reduced to or change possibly to, you know, something that's a lot easier to prove the security of. So like security is number one, like that, like th this is why Ethereum is a joke, right? Like, cause they, they have no security proofs or anything. It's basically a Turing complete language that is extremely hard to analyze. This is why you get so many bugs and so many ways in which uh, people exploit things with something that's provable, right? Like when you have a more, a better um, smart contract language that's more analyzable and stuff like that. And especially if it's not Turing complete, that, that's, that's a lot easier. And that's, that's the direction that we want to be able to go in uh, because it's people's money at stake. And, you know, we, we don't want, uh, you know, like move fast and break things on this sort of thing. You don't want people to lose their money. So um, yeah, uh, hopefully that answers your question. Is there a framework or SDK, one of you will call it, where we can kind of compromise? I know we're talking about security is number one, and I've talked a lot on our podcast that, you know, complexity is the enemy of security and the more complex you make something. But is there some sort of happy medium where we, we can sort of maintain that security but still sort of extend the functionality somehow? Yeah, so I, I think simplicity would be it <laughs> i mean that that's uh, been sort of like blockstream's dream for quite a while and I, I believe they are you know doing a soft work of that on the liquid network uh but that the idea behind simplicity is that there instead of opcodes you have these functions 
Um, and there are very few of them. And, uh, and mathematically, it's, it's very easy to prove whether or not something is secure or whatever, because you know all the outputs. It's not Turing complete. So you can enumerate the outputs. And based on those outputs, you can check and say, okay, that is something that's reasonable or that's not because there's obviously a vulnerability here and so on. This is the stuff that Ethereum absolutely sucks at, right? Like they had, uh, I, I think, a, a multi-sig bug where you could do zero of zero. <laughs> it's, it's insane that, 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 was, that that's something that wasn't caught, first of all, but it's possible because you can't analyze script. It's I, not, not script, you can't analyze uh, solidity that easily. Um, and, you know, all these altcoins try to, uh, you know, do these analytical uh, languages like OCaml and stuff where it is, where you can prove it, but it, it's still very difficult. So um, you, you have this ability to, uh, you know, if you have this ability to prove the security of something, that, that's a big win. And that's something that we should definitely be concerned about when we're talking about things of value, right? Like the, this is digital value. You, you have to put security first. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I do think that you can get simplicity in sort of a soft work. What you would have to do is uh, make it like SegWit V3 or something like that. That's a couple of soft works from there. And uh, you would have uh, in the witness field, um, you know, the actual uh, simplicity contract in there. And you would have to extract that uh, that data and use that to determine, okay, you know, what the actual contract is and run it through the script. And instead of running it through the script virtual machine, which, you know, executes the smart contract, you'd have a separate virtual machine altogether for simplicity that would execute that. Um, and it, it would be a special rule. Um, it would have to be a soft fork and so on. But it, that, that's entirely possible. That's something that I think would be very exciting. You can have different signature schemes and stuff like that. One of the things that Adam Back points out is if we had simplicity on Bitcoin, then you wouldn't need a soft fork for Schnorr signatures. You would just uh, you know, compose a Schnorr signature scheme using simplicity and then just go from there. Like, and you know, you you I, I believe it it would be possible to have entirely different elliptic curves for for stuff. Um, and you know, people talk about quantum and that uh, nauseates me to death. Uh, but you could you could compose a quantum proof, you know, uh, signature scheme that it would be really, really long. Uh, but it would be possible with something like simplicity to do because you can, uh, you know, you you got these basic building blocks and you, you would be able to code it. You, you'd be able to prove its security and move from there. So there, there's so many ways in which, uh, you know, something simpler and easier would work. Um, now there, there are other considerations like the fact that, your uh, your CPU would have to be able to render all this stuff and uh, run it in a reasonably fast way. And I don't know how fast that would be. I, I suspect that it would be fairly fast, but right now with script, it's, um, you know, there, there are a few really, really expensive operations, but most of them are not expensive. So checking a signature is is very expensive, which is why we have something called the SIG op limit and stuff like that. So you're only allowed to run the signature part of uh, of any transaction like so many times before it's considered non-standard or it, it, it's, uh, it, it sort of quits. Even if the whole script is valid, if you do too many signature operations, um, you know, the blocks won't accept them and so on. So there, there are subtle things like that that we'd have to consider, which is probably why it, it uh, you know, it's, it's not you know, on Bitcoin yet. And yeah, there, there's, uh, but that, that would be one way to sort of expand the functionality significantly. Yeah. I, I just want to jump in real quickly here, guys, because this is something for our non-tech based listeners. 
you really should appreciate conversations like these because if Jimmy and Gordon were working for a central bank or if they were working for a private bank, this is a conversation they could not be having publicly. They can be sharing it. So this is the beauty of decentralization and why with Bitcoin, you have so many people working on it. And you know, it's a trillion dollar industry and you know top 15 currency in the world. And I just love that you guys can have these conversations and talk about what is best for the network, what is best for security. Whereas if you were working in any other capacity, private, public industry, you couldn't have these conversations out in the open. So from our listeners, this is just something that is astronomical to me that, hey, this is what these guys are talking about. And what are they trying to do? Protect the network. And as Jimmy says, keep your funds safe. Mm-hmm. So sorry, that was my two cents. <laughs> yeah, and and keep the decentralization right. Like that's uh, that's a big part of the value of Bitcoin is that I can audit the entire Bitcoin blockchain, which is huge. Uh, I I am able to do that at any point, and uh, and you know we need to make sure that that gets easier over time and not harder. Um, and the fact that I could do it with a Raspberry Pi is pretty reasonable. But you know, I want if I wanted to do that with like an EOS uh, node, like that's literally like a hundred thousand dollar machine or something like that to validate their chain. It's like no one's going to do that. That 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 that's why it's not decentralized. It's a completely centralized chain, and every other chain is like that because they've given up uh, decentralization in favor of being able to control things centrally. Um, and you know that that does bring some benefits in the sense that you can upgrade things faster and uh, move, you know, like hype different things and so on. But uh, that's not what we do in Bitcoin because it's actually money. <laughs> uh, you, I like to use the example of you know, take any large conglomerate, large business. The most important department, you know, people realize is the IT department. These are the guys running your webpage, running your payment services, running everything. These are the most important guys in the business. And what do you do? I'll put them in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, many a company has, uh, has suffered significantly because, uh, you know, they, they weren't able to upgrade their IT departments and things like that. So, Yeah. You got some weird stuff there. Yeah, I just want to go back to what you said before about the chains. Um, I mm-hmm. dabbled in a little bit of altcoin development mm-hmm. a few a few years ago. Um, forgive me, Father, I've sinned. But um, <laughs> they don't. And, and, and you've talked many times, uh, Jimmy, about the importance of running a node and decentralization. I don't think, I'll just reiterate that because I don't think people understand how important it is to be able to download a blockchain to verify it by yourself on consumer hardware, on, you know, hardware that costs uh, $10, $20 instead of a lot of these altcoins, um, Ethereum, for example, what is it up to about $4,000, $5,000 with, you know, expensive SSDs and CPUs or whatever. Um, and a lot of these altcoins don't actually do on-chain verification anyway. Their apps don't connect directly to the blockchain. A lot of these projects, a couple that I worked on, um, they were indexing stuff in databases anyway. So all these apps were looking at a database. They weren't even looking at a blockchain. But that's a separate story. Mm-hmm. For any developers out there listening to this, because you're probably the only ones who are, who are sort of left, um, <laughs> why should someone um, develop in Bitcoin? Let's say someone knows a bit of Python or JavaScript mm-hmm. or something like that. It seems like the barrier to entry is pretty high. And I, I want your rebuttal here because you run a, <laughs> Bitcoin course, but uh, it just seems like the barrier of entry is really high, and and, and to get to Ethereum or, or some of these other altcoins seems pretty easy to download an SDK and get started. So why should someone program Bitcoin? Yeah, uh, good question. The, the thing is, like uh, all, all this, the the reason I would give is not, hey, it's much easier on Bitcoin. It's not. I I, I think you you made that case. Um, they they've made it. Extremely easy on uh, on Ethereum to create an NFT, for example, right? Like that. That's it's like uh, you know you fill in a template on some ERC standard and and that's it. That's not really coding though. That's that's really just like filling out a form, right? Um, and the thing is, uh, with with all these altcoins, they they made it very easy to sort of like hype up your stuff, and that that's their whole business model. So. I wouldn't give uh, sort of like a you know it's it's easier to program on Bitcoin argument. The the argument I would give is uh, 
you're working on a scam versus you're working on something real. Uh, and the thing is like any business model will work if you can print your own money, which is true of every altcoin. Like you can, you can make any business model work, including, you know, selling database rows for, uh, for money, which is essentially what an NFT is. Um, you can make any business model work uh, in, in those sort of environments. And You're that's why most governments right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, it, it, and none of them run efficiently. None of them really benefit anybody. And that that's, that's the problem. So you, you can go to the dark side and, uh, you know, work on all these altcoins, probably make, even make some money, but I would question the effect on your soul, right? Like I, I, I uh, saw a tweet not too long back about how, there are so many like developers that have made a ton of money working for these altcoins or whatever, and they're massively depressed. Now, ask yourself why? Why is that? I thought money is supposed to make you happy or something like that. It's not. That's not the case, right? Like if you earn money legitimately, where you're providing value to others, and you have uh, provided a good or service that other people can enjoy or use or make their lives better in some way, that's huge, right? That's building up civilization. And deep in your heart of hearts, you know it when you've done that. When you're not doing that, what are you? Well, you're a rent seeker. You're somebody that, that's just sort of like extracting resources, taxing some transaction without providing any value whatsoever. And deep in your heart of hearts, you know that too. And this is why these people are depressed, or at least that's why I believe they're depressed is because they've made money, but they've done so in a way that extracts resources and tears down civilization instead of providing goods and services to greater civilization and builds it up in some way. And, and those are, are, that's a crucial distinction. Um, you know, we're, we're told basically that, you know, all money, like, you know, whatever you can do to make money, you know, that's fine. Um, I don't. I, I I really don't think that's the case. If you make money in one way, you're. It's not going to be very satisfying. Whereas if you make money in another way, it is going to be satisfying. And that that would be the argument that I would give for working on Bitcoin instead of all this other stuff. If you're letting sort of like ease of getting into it as the main criteria for why you're coding in it then I think you really need to look at your goals and uh, and sort of like do a lot of self-reflection on what's actually valuable to you because you can make a lot of money and be completely miserable or you can make less money and be, you know, uh, a lot more joyful with your life. Um, so yeah, that would be my answer. I mean, a lot of people that I speak to and, and even around here, um, blockchain engineers, um, the best case scenario is you're just um, creating a really expensive, really slow, um, you know, a database. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, best case scenario, you're basically scamming your clients. You know, you're, you're mm -hmm. charging them, you know, 100 times. Just, you know, download a Linux server, MySQL and Apache and create some PHP code and you're done. Um, <laughs> you know, why spend $100,000? But everyone's doing, you know, every single, um, maybe not small, but medium to large business in the entire world is doing some sort of R&D project, whether it's a public blockchain, private, whatever, based on Ethereum, whatnot. Um, and they're spending millions of dollars. Um, my brother works for a very large car manufacturer that everyone uh, knows. And um, yeah, they've spent about 200 million uh, in the last two years on an R&D project that they're basically just now gonna scrap. And uh, I was talking to him before they were doing this. I'm like, what are you doing? Like you're just creating a really expensive, a really slow, and a really insecure database that is a nightmare to maintain. You're already using commercial systems like SAP and Oracle mm -hmm. databases. Just use that; it's fine. You know, mm -hmm. um, I just, uh, I just don't see the use cases for it. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I'm legally changing my name to Blockchain Ferris. You guys want to invest? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I, it is this whole phenomenon of rent seeking that becomes much more prevalent in a fiat monetary system. And, you know, I, I, I complain, uh, for example, about the TSA. It's, it's not never been about security uh, at an airport. It's, 
it's just a bunch of make work jobs, right? It's digging a hole and filling it back up again. That's essentially like what all of those people are hired for. Um, you know, it doesn't stop terrorist attacks or anything like that. All, all it does is make it, you know, tax every uh, tra- uh, plane, air, air travel passenger with like additional 30 minutes that they have to go in and out of those things. Um, and and that, that's the tax that everyone is paying for these people to get work, basically. Um, and that, that's all it is. Um, and that that's kind of what you're becoming if you do like, you know, become a blockchain consultant or an altcoin developer or something like that. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're basically taxing these uh, ecosystems where they're printing their own money. And those are really stealing from the, from the people that are stupid enough to get in, I guess. Couldn't agree more. Um, so someone, Jimmy, I'm, I'm, I'm just going back to this because we've got a bit of a programming theme tonight. If someone did want to get back in, oh, sorry, if someone wanted to get into Bitcoin, uh, are there any, apart from your course, which feel free to plug, are there any libraries, repositories? What are some starting points for people to get in? Yeah, it uh, depends on what you want to do. So there's a lot of interest in um, doing stuff on the Lightning Network, for example, and there, there's a lot of exciting developments there. Um, there. There's a lot of different developer tools for that, for example. Um, so I, I think there's a whole SDK for Lightning, basically, where um, you know it'll set up like a whole Lightning infrastructure, including many nodes, and you can essentially run your own node and uh, within this, uh, you know, sub, you know, testnet kind of place. And you can, you can do all sorts of things and test it and make sure it works and stuff like that. Uh, there, there's also, um, you know, uh, I think it's called BDK or something like that, that Square puts out that it's a, it's a developer kit for Bitcoin developer kit for Bitcoin. I think they also have like a lightning equivalent or something like that. So there, there's a lot of different ways to get in. It depends on, you know, what programming language you are familiar with or are comfortable in, um, you know, what aspect of, uh, you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem that you want to do something in. So if you're a wallet developer, that's very different than, if you want to do protocol development or lightning development or something like that, there, there's all sorts of different aspects to it. Um, and, you know, it, it really depends on that. But, you know, there, there's a lot of resources out there um, and there are Google search away. So, yeah, I, uh, obviously I have a, a book on the protocol level stuff, uh, Programming Bitcoin by O'Reilly. Uh, and, you know, I, I teach that stuff as well with my seminar. So, um, yeah, if you want to learn that stuff from me, yeah, like sign up for my course. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I'm all out of questions. Gordon, did you have anything else you want to ask Jimmy? I just wanted to know, is, is this, are we talking to the real Jimmy song? I think you've had a few <laughs> problems with impersonators of late. Uh, um, are we talking to Jimmy song? I guess I can uh, do a PGP signature for you based on my Twitter profile. Uh, yeah, it's uh, oh, gosh, uh, the, this has been a problem for like four years now, and Twitter still refuses to give me the blue check mark. So, what, what can I do? Mm. Are you looking at any? I, I know this is like the eternal question, but are you looking at any other sort of uh, social media, email, cloud storage, sort of self hosted or decentralized solutions? Um, I would love to see Umbral do something like that because I have one of their nodes. I would love to plug it in and download my own mail server, my own mm. photo sharing storage place or something like that and stuff like that. Um, that would be awesome if I can have something like that running on my own thing. And then maybe if they, you know, like if it was open source, I can like put it on my phone. That way I can you know, access my photo storage or my mail server, or if it uses an open protocol or something, I can have a client on my phone that connects directly and downloads them. Like that would be ideal. Um, 
-hmm. we're not there yet. Uh, that, that, uh, you know, I would love to have control over my own data. I also mm -hmm. want a calendar that that isn't like completely controlled by Google and stuff. Um, but, you know, we're, we're not there yet, uh, but I, I do think we'll get there because, um, you know, we, we now have boot, bootstrapped this idea of running your own server with a Bitcoin node, number one, then a lightning node, and you keep adding stuff to that. And next thing you know, you're almost self-sovereign on a digital level, which uh, which would be amazing. I can see, sorry, Gordon, I'm going to jump in. Gordon's chapping at the bit here, Jimmy. And this is something me and him have been talking about for the last two months is basically the coming age of decentralization where people realize my entire identity, not just digital identity, but who I am is out there. How do I take control of that? And what you just said, sovereign is something we've been talking about. So yeah, I'll, I'll just let Gordon attack you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no attacks at all. It's it's a journey. No, when I say attack, I mean, yeah, you're very excited about this. So sorry. It's a journey. I've been going through the last two, three months of self-hosting my own stuff. So I've been setting up, you know, my own email server, which by the way, don't try it. Um, you just, it's just, it's, it's a nightmare to manage and maintain. Um, setting up, you know, cloud stories like Nextcloud and uh, all kinds of stuff. But then I, there's so many rabbit holes you go down to because you want to be self-sovereign and host stuff by yourself. But then you put everything, you put your full node, you put your lightning node, you put stuff on your own server. And then you're like, now I've got everything on the one server that becomes a single point of failure. So I'm like, now I need other servers in other locations. And now you have to not only decentralize, you have to distribute your servers around the globe as well and do mirroring and stuff like that. So it's, it's a never-ending rabbit hole you go down. Well, well, so I mean, this is where you know providers can definitely help you, right? Like, um, and this this is why I want Umbral to go and make or somebody to make an uh, an Umbral app that basically does a lot of that for you and lets you run your own mail server and get nice new features. I'm I'm even willing to pay for a software license so that you know it, it's all sort of done in a nice way and so on. So. I think, uh, you know, that that's coming, um, I think. It, it's just going to, um, you know, require people like us to demand it of the market. Um, people are just so used to getting things for free and they're willing to give up all manner of privacy uh, to do it. But, you know, as we move towards, you know, that data kind of getting abused by Google and Facebook and all these other places, you know, I, I think there's there there are going to be people that are going to demand better uh, you know control and ultimately that's going to be self-hosted stuff. Yeah, so I was, I was looking at a um, I'm just finishing some studies and I was sort of looking at a project sort of post this and I'm I'm a I'm a sort of a bit of a developer um, more on the back end than the front end but uh, I was sort of looking for projects and I was like. I love all this self-hosted stuff, but a lot of the stuff doesn't integrate any Bitcoin stuff, which is really disappointing. So I think I've found my niche in terms of setting up, you know, self-hosted cloud storage mail and that kind of stuff, integrating, say, Lightning or some of that. So, um, yeah, that all that stuff is just, just fascinating. And uh, it's definitely the way forward. So uh, I was looking at last time we interviewed Jimmy, which was January the 12th, I think, or 12th or 13th. Seems like this is the year of sort of inflation and money printing gone wild. What do you reckon next year's got in store for for uh, for Bitcoin? Um, I reckon that it'll be just as crazy. <laughs> we just had a you know $1.7 trillion infrastructure bill that just passed. Um, no money to pay for it. So I, I think we're going to see more money printing. I think people are going to complain about prices. I think there's going to be more stimulus checks that are going to go out. Um, you know, uh, like prices on everything are going to continue to go up. It's not going to be transitory. That's about as accurate of as two weeks to, you know, flatten the curve or something like that. It's 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 another lie that they're telling us so that we stay compliant or something. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the next couple, the next year being any different or better because uh, mm. Democrats are going to want like some way of saying, hey, like, look what we've done for you. Um, you know, they're already sending out like child uh, 
you know, care, sub, I, I forget, like there, there's some checks that they're sending out for that reason. So yeah, it's gonna, the money can, I, I, I don't see it stopping. And they can't raise rates because like entire bond markets mm. will collapse and stuff. So they're, you know, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, and that's what happens when you keep printing money. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Inflation is no longer an emerging market problem. It's now hitting people in everyday, everyday walks of life. And even if they don't understand it, they know something is wrong. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Jimmy. And um, yeah, we'd love to have you back on again. This theme you just brought up decentralization is something we're working on here. Um, so if it's okay, if maybe six months down the line, we'd love to get back on and talk specifically about that. Let's do it. Thank you, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks for watching or listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share so we can spread this educational content to others like yourself. Visit bitcoinbasics.help. Disclaimer. Any content provided by CoinCompass is for educational and informational purposes only and is not investment, legal, tax, or any other professional advice. A qualified professional should be consulted before making any financial decisions. CoinCompass will at times recommend certain products, services, and technologies, but these are opinions based upon our own or podcast guests' experience and not endorsements. We take no liability for out-of-date or inaccurate information, software bugs, manufacturing errors, technology misuse, or issues involving third parties. Visit CoinCompass.com for more information and please contact us.